Hello and welcome to Podcasting the Past, a project of Glasgow University, helping educators collaborate, discuss and teach higher history. I'm Gabrielle Stars and I'll be your host for today's episode. This is episode six, Assess the Effectiveness of the Civil Rights Movement in Meeting the Needs of Black Americans up to 1968. Don't forget you can check out the link in the podcast description to access our tools and resources. Listen, baby. Do you feel that it's wrong to discriminate against a person solely on the basis of his race or color? Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. You don't have to worry. I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. We are fortunate to be joined today by Dr. Mark McClay, a lecturer in American history at the University of Glasgow and Tim Green, an educator of history at St Thomas Aquinas Secondary School. Lovely to have you both here on Podcasting the Past. So Tim, what are the key challenges in teaching this topic? I think the biggest challenge straight off the bat is the fact that it follows on immediately after issue five. Yeah. And straight away when you speak to the kids about it, there's a lot of discussion about which bit comes where, which is issue five, which is issue six, and then you further compound it by saying, oh, well, some of them, it's both. Yeah, it overlaps a lot. Yeah, absolutely. So. The biggest issue, I think, is is very clearly in your own mind, having it separated from issue five, knowing what you want to say and how that differs. Um, once you've got that, it's about commenting on the effectiveness because that's what this essay is about. Issue five is very much what were the reasons for the growth, but now this is something a bit more, um, a bit trickier that you're trying to comment on the effectiveness of something. And again, different people can look at it and look at different levels of success because that's effectively what you're trying to measure so the next big challenge then is really trying to help the pupils make those connections to understand what they need to do for a knowledge point to move away from description and much more into what was actually happening and therefore and that I think is a big challenge for kids definitely in my experience teaching it's that therefore um, I would say in my classroom when asking pupils questions so what you've, you've given me an answer yet yeah, okay Martin Luther King did that but so what what was the effectiveness? What was the what was the growth from that? So I think that's a big issue. I think because issue five and issue six are so heavily covered in modern media, you know, you think of films like Selma with yeah. um, about Martin Luther King, that the pupils need to clearly understand what it is they need to do for a knowledge point and what is just kind of backgrounds, you know, background information. And again, trying to avoid that description of content really trying to hammer it in so I'm sure everybody out there all the teachers listening will have different ways of doing it what I usually try and say to my pupils is tell me a fact an event a statistic something physically that happened that you could point to and go okay that is a concrete piece of evidence that's your knowledge okay rather than just kind of describing kind of events that have yeah. happened but giving them a concrete yeah absolutely because invariably you'll do this pupils will write you an essay the first essay they'll have you know half a page on one factor and you're like oh you get no knowledge what but i wrote half a page it's like yeah but you described it yeah. at no point did you actually give me that detail and say here you go here's my fact here's my statistic here's my event so I, that's something i try and do just to try and give the pupils a, 
uh, a grasp of it to really try and get their, their fingers into it and, and hang on. Um, I think as well, it's, I know this has been covered on some of the other um, podcasts, but trying to cover historical content without getting, not bogged down, but without going all the way around it, trying to cover the entirety of the 1960s in America, but at the same time, not just preaching, you know, the experience yeah. of black Americans, especially as a white British teacher. So it's trying to find that balance, keeping it, keeping it clear and concise and sticking to the topic, but at the same time, giving enough context that pupils understand this is part of a bigger picture for the experience of white and black Americans in the 1960s and the reasons for the civil rights movement and therefore how effective was it in meeting the needs. So Tim, is there any part of the course that you find that the pupils engage particularly well with that you've taught? Yeah, 100%. Um, I think that the, the black radical aspect of issue six, um, pupils really respond well to that. People like Malcolm X and Stokely Carmichael, they're names that they've heard, but not necessarily covered. The same way that Martin Luther King is obviously associated that you know the figurehead of the civil rights movement but you also have all these other incredibly important incredibly diverse characters who maybe don't get the same limelight and there's a lot of reasons for that but i think the pupils really respond to that sort of slightly different direction these new players maybe entering the stage that weren't in issue five and um, things like the black panthers as well we tend to always have a discussion about their sort of role in American society and how they were portrayed and, and the investigations by the FBI and then balancing that you know with with like the breakfast programs and, and health clinics that they ran to show you oh we obviously have a, an, an image you think of the Black Panthers you think of the Barry and you think of guns and we go oh well they must be violent and aggressive and it's like no that's that's our bias that's yeah. what we've been shown and I know that when I was in school at least I was definitely taught like Martin Luther King good guy Malcolm yep. X bad guy exactly. and that was kind of it and there wasn't any more delve into who Malcolm X and the Black Panthers really were mm -hmm. yeah. and, and even the fact that you could argue that because we're assessing the effectiveness of the civil rights movement, you could point out that one of the failings of the civil rights movement was the need for this movement to black radicalism. Yeah. That peaceful, that non-violent protest wasn't getting the results that many Americans felt it needed to. Yeah. I think as well, you can come in there and you can add, you can give more color to the character of, of Martin Luther King. You know, Martin Luther King became, you know, we grew up, you know, hearing this, you know, and it's to this day, it's really continued this sort of sainted figure that it's he's a sort of safe, figure in American yeah. history yeah. that all Americans, mostly black and white, can celebrate and be like, he was a good guy. You know, he, yeah. he was non-violent, he didn't push too hard, you know, he went along and he achieved the Civil Rights Act. Martin Luther King is much more complex than that. Martin Luther King, from, you could argue from the point the Voting Rights Act's passed, meets failure after failure after failure, partly because he's becoming more radical himself, you know. Martin Luther King wasn't just about civil rights legislation. He was about poverty. He was about trying to tackle poverty. And indeed, the, 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 the famous march in Washington in 1963 was about freedom and jobs. He wanted jobs for the black community. Civil Rights Act didn't really grant that. The Voting Rights Act didn't really grant that. He, by the time he was assassinated, he's leading a poor people's campaign. He is come out against the Vietnam War, which was a really bold thing to do that some um, African-American leaders were worried about. And uh, the, indeed, the, 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 when he's in Tennessee and he's assassinated, he's there to help striking sanitation workers. Not exactly the most glamorous, you know, here I am safe, safe person. And the last poll that was ever done of the American people about how favorable they viewed Martin Luther King, it was, to my memory, it was something like 
32%, I believe, had a favourable opinion of Martin Luther King. He was yeah. deeply unpopular amongst white Americans in the years before he died. And so I think there's a chance in this topic to say, okay, you've heard the civil rights, you know, sort of preacher, great speech making Martin Luther King. Here is what goes on after. And yeah, shows here's like that, the kind of other side. Yeah, and he's, he's becoming more radical as well as other radical movements are moving in to try and take his place. So it's mm -hmm. that sort of complex story. Which again on. could kind of um, basically show the pupils that is it, is it really being effective if Martin Luther King's having to kind of, if his strategies are changing slightly or is his mindset's changing slightly, then is it really working? Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I mean you can tie it into the you know the sort of the, I believe this topic touches on the riots and, and uprisings that are going on in the cities. I mean, Martin Luther King deems his biggest failure is in Chicago in 1966 when he goes in to try and help desegregate housing in Chicago. And you know we think and sometimes the the kids might get the impression that oh racism's in the south. You know it's yeah, yeah. you know Chicago is an, as northern a city as you get, um, and Mar Martin Luther King goes up there to try and desegregate it. At one point, they literally built a motorway to try and separate white and black communities. Um, that, that's what the white power structure did. And he has rocks thrown at him. He, ha he's, he has loads of abuse, um, sort of bile projected towards him. And in the end, he doesn't achieve anything. And he comes away saying that the people of Mississippi need to go to Chicago to learn how to hate. You know, so that sort of, you know, and I think that again projects to the, you know the students that you know again this isn't just a southern problem it's a northern problem as well and it's a lot more complex and oh if you if white and black people can go in the same hotel in alabama all of a sudden everything's solved you know it's a lot more complex than that i think that's a big a big part of the issue and it's it's maybe something or it's one of the reasons that people struggle with with assessing that success because it's very easy to say desegregation as you said the hotel's desegregated we've won We've got the Civil Rights Act, we've got the Voting Rights Act, white and black Americans, you know, it's all sorted. And as you're saying, it, it's not. It, it's one aspect and that's it. And it's about jobs and there's no point being able to vote for whoever you want if you then can't get a job to provide, to live in the, the country that you voted for securely. Yeah. So Mark, is there any more research that you would say we could bring into the classroom? Yeah, so I mean, first of all, I'd reiterate the, the points made in previous uh, podcasts and issues two and, uh, and particularly five on the fact that historians have really been uncovering the role of women um, in, yeah. in protest in the 1960s um, and how they how they infused both I think I think previously we talked about the civil rights movement um, but also the black radical movements that the women played a key role in, in, in the rise of black power um, they played a key role in the black panthers um, and you know, this is something that now we look back and go, well, that's obvious. Of course they did, you know, half the population. Why, why, why wouldn't they have been involved in this? Um, but to just sort of reiterate that point. But also there's been, take for example, the point on the NAACP that has generally been, had this view of it being the sort of crusty, old, conservative version of, of, of sort of African-American protest because its roots go all the way back um, decades it's sort of the legalistic um place where you know obviously leads the charge for brown versus board of education but some people had that impression that by the 60s they're not really worth talking about you know they're mm -hmm. they're, they're 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 sort of out of touch recent historians have, have pointed out that actually that's not the case that the naacp just as you know snick core the SCLC, had this infusion of young people coming into the ranks um yeah. to work for them and to guide their policy going forward and to, to essentially keep them relevant 
Um, so again, and I, th- I think this has been a theme throughout a lot of these podcasts, is the role of young people again. And, uh, you know, as I think you mentioned, Gabrielle, in, in a previous episode, that that can be something that students themselves can latch on to. Yeah, the that... pupils love when you discuss what the role of young people in these movements and they realise that, you know, that they can make a difference in what's going on in their lives just now, you know, and it's not all just adults that are making these changes, but it is young people as well, yeah. So Tim, um, what kind of key analysis and evaluation points do you think that we need to get across to the pupils? Um, I think it's, it's as we've mentioned before, this essay is, is perhaps the most tricky with it because you're trying to teach pupils how to go about doing it, to avoid relying on information they know from previous essays, yeah. and actually then coming up with something new. Um, I think the skill of evaluation at higher history as well is is quite tricky. Um, I I personally feel that this type of essay lends itself to evaluation much more easily. Okay. But and this this is anecdotal, but from my experience, pupils actually prefer um, evaluation type essays where there's a clear, most important, and everything's built around that. I think yeah. that fits with how they understand it much better. When you take an essay like this and you're looking at the assessment, or uh, sorry, the effectiveness. And you're saying, you know, so as we've discussed, someone like King, very successful in the South in terms of there's clear, tangible outcomes that are achieved. And then going to Chicago and and getting thrown out of the city, basically. Mm -hmm. Pupils, I think, struggle with that nuance much more. And I I mean, nuance is is what history is, but it's how how much we pursue that with them, engage with that, and how much we maybe roll back and just have it a bit safe and go, okay, we'll just say this. So that, I think, is a real challenge. How much freedom do we give the pupils and our young people to really explore history and how much do we maybe structure it and make it a bit safer so that they can actually get those marks get the and marks, yeah, yeah. I, I just don't really have an answer for that but I think that's that's the key question and I think in a lot of um, classrooms just now um, I think as well with evaluation it, it, it's tricky not to teach them a script as such yeah um because you do want them to discover it you do want them to understand it you do want them to to engage with it themselves but there's all sorts of other issues that go alongside that and we as educators need to to step in and support them with it so again it's trying to find that that balance especially with an issue that still has such lasting impacts in 21st century uk usa world um so the other, for example, the other issues we teach in the British section, we do the making of modern Britain. And it's very easy to say, you know, oh, when you're looking at Labour and the NHS, it was a success because of this, but it was a failure because of this. Nobody's going to disagree that giving health care to people was a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But when you're looking at someone like Malcolm X, someone like Martin Luther King, the Black Panthers, it, it's very easy to say, yeah, they were good. And then someone immediately go, well, no, they weren't. And where's the correct answer? Probably somewhere in the middle, but nobody likes that compromise. So that kind of brings us to... How do we link this topic to present day events that make this topic relevant for our pupils? Um, I think, as as Mark said earlier, it, it's that connection with young people. Yeah. That this growing awareness that young people played a vital role in the civil rights movement itself, but even in organisations like the NAACP, where again, Mark, you said it, it has a reputation as maybe in the slightly safer, older one. And then I think when you look at the movements today you know you think of black lives matter and stuff for example we tend to think of that as a young person's movement and again it's 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 what we're seeing it's how it's being portrayed obviously but i think that's quite an important connection to this course to see that throughout it whether it's the 60s or the 2020s young people are heavily involved have that say are the real driving force for change 
um, the people less likely to be satisfied with the status quo? I mean, I, I think the obvious as well way to draw parallels is, you know, what we witnessed um, last year with the, 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 you know, the horrific murder of George Floyd and then the, the fallout um, and, and what came after, you know, with uprisings in various cities and, you know, riots taking place off the back of them. And then the big debate that went on where people saying, oh, these are just thugs rioting versus people saying, actually, that these are people with legitimate protests and reasons to be upset that, you know, that discrimination has gone on for centuries, um, which, which is the, the explanation here. That exact same debate goes on in the 1960s. Um, the 1960s are full of um, every single summer from 1964 to 1968. There is there are there are multiple cities that have uprisings and riots, mm -hmm. um, some larger than other. For example, Watts in 1965 is a huge one, um, and has has a role to play in stirring a sort of white backlash to racial progress. Um, and then in 1967. Detroit and New York, uh, and then finally, after Martin Luther King is assassinated, over 100 American cities have uprisings, uh, some form of violence taking place. Washington, D.C., the capital, is in flames. Large parts of it are in flames. Um, and that that leads to this intense debate going on in the United States, but again, as the one that we've had recently over, who, what, what are the reasons here? One of the differences is, in the modern time, we can much more loudly hear the yeah, protesters' voice, and they because of social media, because of because of uh, you know mainstream media is much more um, concerned about getting on lots of different voices now than it ever used to be. In the nineteen sixties, it's mostly whatever white anchor on the news has to say about it, um, and trying to trying to find sort of middle line. But the the conservative voices are amplified in, in the nineteen sixties. So it's, it's the, the, there's, there's just clear parallels there with the fact that these are issues that they were grappling with 50 years ago. We're still grappling with them now. And so does that not suggest to the point of effectiveness that something wasn't effective? Yeah, yeah you know, something's, it's something's not, missing. It's not yeah. been effective. Because um, otherwise, essentially, if you're saying, no, 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 we solved everything, then you're just basically saying any protests that have ever gone on since that, all those people are just pathologically inclined to riot, which is, of course, nonsense. I think as well for pupils nowadays, um, even just when I was in school, it was very much taught that, you know, Martin Luther King came in and solved the civil rights movement and it was finished. And it wasn't maybe until a couple of years later that I kind of realised, actually, no, that's not the case at all. Whereas pupils now, they do have access to social media and they can very clearly see what's going on in America. And not just America, it's been happening here as well. I mean, a couple of years ago, there was the murder of Sheku Bayou. I think it was in Edinburgh or Fife by, there was, and he died in police custody. And you know, that's happening on our doorstep as well. And that's all coming to light now with the help of social media and I think pupils are much more aware and engaged than they were even maybe 10 years ago. And I think, you know, bringing these links in will help them engage and will hopefully help them kind of assess the effectiveness of yeah. the, the original civil rights movement. Because, yeah. I, I mean, you, you look at the course itself and it's USA 1918 to 1968 and, and it's framed within that. But 
no teacher is going to just start at 1918 as if the yeah. USA springs fully <laughs> formed. And again, it doesn't stop at 1968. I, th I think, as you as you've both said, Martin Luther King is is this kind of safe moment, and his assassination mm -hmm. is a tra uh, tragedy, and that's the end of the civil rights movement. It stops in 1968 because he's dead. We can't go on. So, yeah, I, th I think that growing awareness to bring in the reasons for conflict before 1918 right the way through to then look at the extension of it from 1968 onwards and then to look at the comparison of the U, uh, of the UK. I think it's very easy for us to go, oh, well, we didn't have segregation yeah. and we didn't have Jim Crow. Oh, mm. like silly yanks, what are they playing at? It's like, well, no, we need to consider our, you know, our experience of it as well and, and the relationship of, of white British and black British. And, and I think this topic has a lot to teach in terms of the, the conflicts that are there and the, the role of young people and, and all sorts. If, if anything, like the, the sort of the explosive events of the last year have made it easier in some senses because now the, the kids themselves are aware that, you know, racism it hasn't been solved. You know, as you said, Gabrielle, when I, when I was in school, I sort of left with this impression that civil rights, act, voting rights, act, oh, racism's done. Yeah. Oh, Martin, <laughs> thank God for Martin Luther King um, and everything's fine. And clearly, you know, you grow up and you realise that's very much not the case. Mm -hmm. um, whereas, you know, the next generation of students, I don't think, will be under that illusion in any way and wouldn't accept that narrative being taught to them, you know. I think as well with with this topic, um, it, it's it's interesting as well that I think when you look at this topic, it's quite maybe not easy is the right word, but it's it's understandable that you can look at both sides and kind of go, well, there was good and bad on both sides. Whereas I think we're starting to shift more now, perhaps with with social media, that that you can't not have a viewpoint. You have to comment on it in some regards. Mm -hmm. You know, you're either with it or against it, and yeah. and it's that polarization that maybe in the the actual topic you isn't as explicit but when you then start to look at the the lessons and the and the continuing um themes from this topic into the the modern day it does start to become more difficult to not come down on one side or the other yeah i think this this topic and, and i i wrestle with this when teaching anything on race in university or writing anything on race as i've done in, in research is that is that sort of struggle between you're not the natural historian inside you wants to be objective it wants to say oh here there's this side there's this side and sort of find some sort of analytical middle ground but sometimes there's topics and um, particularly and race is most prominently one of them where there is just a right and a wrong um and i think you know it must be it's tricky for you guys it's tricky for us to try and figure out okay what are the precise points where we should be calling out racism explicitly here and saying you know this is essentially what it is and then there's there's other issues that maybe are still in this topic that you still have to nuance and say well some people thought this was the right approach say non-violence versus violence who you know are, are, that's still a debate that's ongoing to this day um you know so i i think i think it's just one of those topics that you know engages both you know your brain the entire time while you're teaching it and and your students which can't be a bad thing in teaching so Thank you so much to both Dr Mark McClay and Tim Green for joining us today. Some of the key advice I think we can take from today's episode is separating issues five and six clearly in your own heads before going into the classroom. For example, discussing the NAACP's actions, such as Brown versus the Board of Education, rather than a description of who they are. Also, students enjoy learning about black radical figures and there is an opportunity there to bring Martin Luther King in as a more radical figure. And contemporary events are your friend in this issue. 1968 is not the end. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Podcasting the Past. Don't forget you can check out the link in the podcast description to access our tools and resources. 
Thank you so much for tuning into the first series of Podcasting the Past. If you have enjoyed it and have any feedback, please get in touch via the link where you find our tools and resources. We plan to be back in the future with episodes discussing other topics. <laughs>